Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, author Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series. Joining me today, as always, are my Vox Vomitus vixens, author Allison Martine of The Bourbon Books, and author Tricia Ridinger-McKee of the Beyond series. Today we are joined by fellow female authoress, Miss Greta Kelly. Hello, hello. Welcome, Greta. Thanks for having me. So, Greta, you are, your debut novel just came out. Yes. Less than a month ago. Right. And you had a baby less than a month ago. Yeah. (laughs) The 12th and the 13th. (laughs) How are you awake? I have a very nice mom who has been staying with me <laughs> and helping me. In addition to the newborn, I have a one-year-old. Yes. So you have two under two. Yeah, I almost had two under one because, you know, winning. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's been a quarantine, you know. It's like we got to keep busy however we can. Right. That's I think between the quarantine and probably just staying warm. Um, yeah, it's just nothing up here, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Greta, tell us a little bit about yourself and your book, The Frozen Crown. Yeah, so I am a Wisconsin writer. I'm an avid reader, a terrible knitter. And as we said, my book, yep, The Frozen Crown, just came out on January 12th. And it is about a princess named Askia whose country has been invaded. And to save her people, she sails to a foreign court to beg its emperor for aid. But unfortunately, a different kind of battle awaits her at court, where one wrong word could be the end of both her people and her life. And it's the first in a duology. That was going to be my next question, because I saw that the sequel (laughs) is coming out in, I think, September 2021? Yeah, so sometime in fall. I think it might be November now. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. (laughs) You Um, don't wait long. (laughs) So I was wondering, I'm like, is this a whole series that I'm committing to here? Is it a duology? Too late. Mm-hmm. Ten books. You're done. I know. My commitment <laughs> issues just showed up right there. <laughs> right there. Nope. It's a duology, so start to finish in one year, um, which I think is a little bit unusual, but uh, hopefully readers will get behind that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think they will. Um, so when you were writing it, did you specifically write this as two separate books, or were you thinking of it just as one giant story, and then you'd figure out where to cut it? So I wrote um, The Frozen Crown knowing that it was going to be more than one book, but I didn't know how many more. Um, And then when it sold to Harper Voyager, my editor was like, two books, I think you can do it in two books. Let's just outline it out and figure it out. And and that's what we did. So two books it is. (laughs) Oh, that's, I mean, so, and and it's it's a hefty book. Book one is a hefty book. It's, you know, 400 pages. Yeah. Or so, were you tempted at all to, you know, try to get them to release it as more than two books? Because <laughs> you've got a lot of work. Yeah, you know, it would have been up to me. I think it would have been more like three books, but um, oh well. <laughs> well, okay, so Greta, it's 400 and some pages. What does that mean, word count? Because I know sometimes there's this disconnect between readers and authors because we think in word count, and then when it shows up, the pages are whatever the font is, the size of the binding, all that stuff. What, what's the 
what's the word count for Frozen Crown about? It's funny thinking about it because the first draft of the Frozen Crown was probably about 125,000 words. And then when I, it got, when I got my agent and we submitted it to the publisher, it was maybe like 98,000 words. Oh, wow. They just like 300 for 50 pages or so. And now that it's coming out, it's probably in the neighborhood of 120,000 ish. Did you just put the same words back in again? (laughs) 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 That's why we never delete. We just put it off to the side and then it says expand this area. And you go, you mean like I had it before? I mean, I certainly got, you know, finagled back in there, but unfortunately it wasn't a copy paste situation. Did you find it hard to go from 135,000 words to roughly 90,000 words? What was that? Because our show is called Word Vomit for a reason. And we like to talk about the what we have to cut, how we do it. Well, I think all sci-fi fantasy writers really struggle with um, long drafts. (laughs) So it was hard to cut things out and just learning... I think a lot of writers also have certain phrases and words that they use as crutches and can easily be edited out. So it was just a matter of learning what those were for me and where that signified that I was about to go on a tangent and trimming it down. And I also always tell writers just to be freaking ruthless with your own writing. Like, kill your darlings, murder them, put them in the backyard and never look at them again. It's fine. (laughs) No words are wasted. So I, I try to be sparing and, and ruthless when it comes to editing. It, it worked. It happened. <laughs> I got it down. <laughs> Trisha, do you have any questions for Greta? Yes. Um, can you tell me about your um, past experience as a writer? How did you um, get on this path? Was it always something that you have done? Yeah. So I, I was one of those kids that was always writing down stories for myself, um, you know, through middle school and high school. But I think somewhere around college, I started to get this idea that writing wasn't something that real people did. So I kind of went off to college and, you know, got that generic business degree and <laughs> kind of right. lost, lost the thread of writing. And I didn't come back to it until I probably got my first job out of college and realized, oh, I don't want to be a banker. No, oh, no. I'm going to write <laughs> And it took a long time. It took a couple jobs and like seven years probably before. Um, I got an agent, but it happened. So it was, okay, when you say, I think it always is. When you say seven years, was that seven years from the time you started querying or seven years from the time you started writing as, okay, you know what? I am going to put some effort into this. I'll do the banking during the day and I'm going to come yeah. home and write in the margins. How did that, how did that happen? One for sure. So I had, um, the, the training wheels book that I wrote before Frozen Crown occupied most of those seven years. I just couldn't figure it out. It was, uh, it was a disaster. <laughs> we, we need to hear more about that. We want to hear about the disaster. And then we'll, we'll make you talk more about that disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So the disaster took about, you know, six years. And I got the idea for the Frozen Crown. And I, you know, shoved the disaster overboard and dove into that. And then I think... I started that probably in late 2016, and then I found an agent in 2018, and then it sold very late 2018, early 2019. Then here we are. Okay, so that you call training wheels. Did you ever query that one, and then it just didn't go anywhere, or you couldn't get the book to get its training wheels off and take off on its own, which 
which, or maybe it's both. Yeah, I, I got into the stage where I had written a queer letter for it, but I never actually submitted it because I knew it was just a hot mess. And it, it was, I love that book. I will never probably submit it or resurrect it because it's such a mess. And I think the reason was that I didn't know how to write a book at that point. And I thought, you know, if I, if I could, I would be like the pantser. I would just write by the seat of my pants and, and hopefully the words somehow make sense at the end of it. Turns out I'm terrible at that. So <laughs> I have like this 800 page behemoth of a novel that really had no discernible plot. But I thought, you know, newbie writer, I can fix this. I'll make it two books. And then those two books became three books. <laughs> two books, three books, still no plot. <laughs> <laughs> still a little bit of a plot, but too many point of views. And, you know, every every mistake a new fantasy writer can make, I make. Have you considered publishing it as a how not to write fantasy book? <laughs> and then people can use it as an instructional manual and no. each one can highlight a so here's where I went down this really bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean there are some books that have you know subtitles and margin notes in them, so maybe someday. <laughs> do you think that um as a as a newbie sci-fi fantasy writer, do you think you just made I always say like no choices, like you included everything. Like I'm just going to describe everything. I'm going to include all the characters. They're all going to have a point of view. They're all going to have a, their own storyline. Just like very much so. Everything, everything. Everyone was their own perfect snowflake. Everyone was super important to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the, the non-existent plot, or yeah, <laughs> the plot. <laughs> We're going to use that term really loosely in this context, right? <laughs> Maybe. Now I just want to know what this plot was. Yeah. It oh, didn't have one. The generic, everyone, here's a group of, you know, people that go on a quest and go after the big bad. And yeah. So basically a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yes. And okay. surprise, surprise, I do play Dungeons and Dragons. No wonder. <laughs> it's going to be my next question. <laughs> D&D. I saw this meme the other day that said, I just want to write my own Dungeons and Dragons fantasy and be my own DM. And I've been telling people this and then it said something like, Oh, but it turns out, I guess that's what being a writer is. <laughs> kind of. Just a few more tangents and side dramas. And, you know, that, and then as the writer, you're the one who's rolling for your own initiative to keep writing. Please yeah. words. <laughs> Come on. Today. <laughs> Damn it. So no, I was, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jen. Oh, my question was going to be, how long have you been playing D&D? &D? <laughs> Actually, not that long. Um, a friend of ours, we met, oh gosh, five or six years ago now. Um, and he was just like, hey, have you ever thought about playing D&D? &D? I think you guys would really like it. And we kind of just dove in and went for it. And it opened up the whole tabletop RPG world for us. We also play um, 7C, which is another kind of like fantasy-ish role-playing game, um, which I also love. But I think, um, like many people, being in quarantine, it, it finally gave me the time to uh, sit down and watch all of the critical roles on YouTube, <laughs> which is, I don't know if you guys know, but it's a D&D campaign um, voiced by a bunch of voice actors, and it's its wonderful, but there's a bazillion episodes, and they're all like three hours long, and <laughs> it's been a huge concept, but I've extremely enjoyed it. <laughs> well, at some point, everyone needs to sit down and put forth, this is what I got done during quarantine, and... Yes, some people have the banana bread and all that, but there's a lot of people who are like, I finally saw everything in the MCU because that's okay. what they finally had time to do. 
And what I wanted to ask, so when you were talking about this first book that was The Quest and that it just, it didn't work, were there any parts of that that you salvaged and managed to turn into The Frozen Crown or is it a completely new story? Yeah, it's a completely new story. I just had to leave that other book behind. And I think that's probably a, a like a pitfall for a lot of new writers is not having the, maybe the courage to leave that old project behind and work on something new. And I just had to tell myself, you know, I, I needed to write this book. I needed to learn how to write a book. It's not wasted. It's just the practice before the game actually starts. Right. So, and that's just the way I thought of it. So it made it a lot easier to, to put it in the drawer, step away and, and, you know, explore the entire new world of Frozen Crown. Did, did you have a hard time? I know like uh, we're all writers and when you're writing a book and you're every and your friends know and your family knows and they keep asking you things like how's the book going but it, it sounds like are you yeah. okay with that like oh so the book this one okay was it difficult to spend all that time spend six years on a project and then and and obviously people in your life knew about it yeah and then to walk away from it did you get any kind of like uh, I don't want to say grief. <laughs> what kind of feedback did you get? Let's just put yeah, it down. No, you've got to understand the Midwest mentality is no one's really mean to you to your face. Bless <laughs> their hearts. See it in their eyes, but you know, it's <laughs> repressed. You got that German repression happening. <laughs> so no one said anything to me, but I think it would have been different had I not had like a job and I wasn't living with my parents. I was still managing to be like a contributing member of society. I think still grown up. That if I just been in the basement somewhere, I would have gotten more crap for it. <laughs> that is true. I wanted to ask how you got to the point where you realized the first book, like you got to the point where you queried it, but you didn't do anything with the query, but you actually wrote out a query letter. Mm -hmm. I want to know what was that decision like when you said, this isn't it? Was it, did it get supplanted by the new idea? So you knew this is where I need to go with this. Or did you just look at it and go, this is just, it's beyond hope. I'm calling it. It was actually a little bit of both. So I got the idea for the Frozen Crown and was kind of outlining it a little bit while I was trying to draft the query letter for the first book. And like query letters are hard in no matter what the situation is, but it was Amen. just freaking impossible to nail any kind of through line in this query letter because there were just too many characters, too many points of view. And then no plot, like I said, it's hard. It's hard to write a query letter if you can't yeah. set up a plot. Even <laughs> you don't know what a query letter is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a query letter is is when you're saying, "Hey, agent, would you like to represent my book?" And the middle part has a synopsis. And if you have no plot, you have no synopsis. Right. <laughs> you're Especially if the book is eight hundred pages long, yeah. too. That's yeah. hard to to do an elevator pitch. Right. Uh, right. How big is this building and how tall is this elevator? <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's a reason that agents ask for those um, word counts is because you can see, okay, you haven't published anything yet. You're querying me a 300,000 page book. Uh, this is probably not, not happening. Mm -mm. So, I mean, there's exceptions to every rule, but I knew that I wasn't going to be an exception with that particular book. <laughs> well, I like how you say I wasn't going to be an exception with that particular book. So I love how you have the confidence in your writing and going, this isn't the best I can do and I'm going to keep at it and I'm going to come back and reform, refocus and figure out, okay, you know what? My real book's over here. This one got the kinks out. Here's my masterpiece. Yeah. Resilience and luck. That's really what it takes to be published. I think it does. I was wondering if you can buy those somewhere. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that available on Amazon? Yeah, I know. Well. I mean, I don't know about the luck or the resilience. I'm looking for something that makes my skin nice and Teflon. So oh. it slide right off. Yeah. yeah. No. Doesn't exist. Stay off Goodreads. Stay off Goodreads. We've we've definitely said. I feel like almost every episode, there's the author will say like, "Yeah," and then there's Goodreads, and we're all like, "Yeah, no." So, do you read your reviews? I I don't even read the good ones. I tell my family, and my books leave it out for a month, so there's not like a bunch of reviews, and and luckily no one's tagged me in a bad review. But I just knew I have enough like friends who are writers who said, you know, even, even the good reviews, you're going to have something that kind of sticks in your craw the wrong way. And it's like, so I just decided early on, I'm not going to put myself through that and said, no reviews. Well, and even a good review can make, well, even a good review can make you angry because I've had some that are good reviews, but they'll put like a spoiler in it. And I'm like, guys, if you liked yeah. the book, don't put that part in there because then you think, well, someone's going to see that and then go, well, thanks for giving away the goods. Yeah. And you you can't type into Goodreads, dear Goodreads, so-and-so gave away one of the best scenes of my book. How dare they? Get them out. Yeah. They gave away my big twist ending. <laughs> nice. I'm on here. I know. I write romance. There's no twist. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask, though, with the, with the first book, it was similar enough genre because it sounds like it's a quest, so it's still kind of in the same feel of Frozen Crown. Yeah, definitely. They're both second world fantasies, which means it's fantasy that happens in a world that's not Earth. Um, so, yeah. So I, in that way, they are similar. But aside from that, they're not. there's not too many uh, similarities between the two projects. So, And I think that also helped me step away from that project just because it was so different. Is sci-fi fantasy, is that your wheelhouse? Do you think you're going to stay here or do you think you're going to branch out? You've only, you know, you've yeah, just started the journey. <laughs> Um, I think I'll probably always come back to fantasy. I've toyed with the idea of doing like a, a cozy mysteries. I love a cozy mystery. Um, I love a good romance too. So we'll see where my career takes me. But yeah, I would, I yeah always I've always there. wanted to write a cozy mystery. Like I know it's not in me, but I would love it. <laughs> I would love to be the type of person that could write one. Yeah, about like I a think little it must take a level of like planning and outlining that I'm not sure if I've reached that. that's not my strong point (laughs) i'm pretty pretty sure of all the genres that really require planning and not and and not sitting there on the seat of your pants is a mystery because you have to figure out where things are going or it really will just be a tangled mess you can't cover it up with just coziness and go but everyone's so happy it doesn't matter that this makes sense not only do you need to know where you're going you need to know where the plant falls leaves yes That's daunting, yes. Yeah. You need to know the end. <laughs> oh, no. You need to know who committed the crime. Yeah. No. I think we've all read books where we're sure the book the author didn't know that when they wrote it because yeah. it shows. Like yeah. where did this come from? It's out of nowhere. <laughs> Some it was of the butler. butler. <laughs> Well, okay, so the book that's coming out, that's the duology, what's the title of the second book in the series? So the second book is called The Seventh Queen. The Seventh Queen, okay. And then if it's a duology, well, I don't want you to give anything away, but will you stay in this world or will the next book, I don't know if you've started it yet or still in the outlining stage or if it's already done, is that going to be connected somehow or in a completely new world? Yeah, so it's a continuation of the same story, same characters, um, and it, uh, it's already done. We just finished with copy edits. Because it doesn't no, I mean, after this. 
I mean, because this is a duology. Oh, okay. Also, yes. Like, so the next when you're done with this duology, is the next thing you do. I don't know if you're already working on it or if yeah. you if you're still in the brainstorm stage. What comes next? Yeah. So I do have a completed draft of a new, a new project. It's in a different world. Um, it's kind of set in like an alternate, um, like ancient Sumerian inspired world, um, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's completely different tonally from the Frozen Crown. That's Frozen Crown is a little bit heavier. Um, and this is more of like a firefly gilded wolf sort of feel to it. It's like a heist novel with a bunch of garbage gremlins trying to get their lives together. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Garbage gremlins is a great. It's like, I don't want to be the Vox Vomitus Vixens anymore. I want to be the garbage gremlins. <laughs> I can get on board with garbage gremlins. I, t- I call my youngest the trash panda. So I mean, oh, nice. got garbage. <laughs> So, um, so you have a finished draft. How long does it take you now that you've got the, the six year kinks out? Yeah. How long does it take you to write like a, a first draft of a novel? Yes, my, I outline pretty thoroughly before I start uh, drafting. And if I figure out the outline and sometimes I can take a couple months to figure out the outline, but once I have that, I can usually get the draft out in like six ish months. So it's a decent draft. It's not going to be like the thing I submit to an editor at any point, but it's good enough to show like beta readers or critique partners, that kind of thing. So do you use beta readers and critique partners still? Because I know I some do. people kind of fade away from that sometimes. Yeah. And I do have a group of non-writer friends that give very good poignant feedback. So I always share it with them. And I always share with one of my brothers. I know that's one of the rules you're not supposed to do is share your books with family, but... He's just so excited all the time. It makes me excited to get into edits after he gives some feedback. So. Sorry, your brother, because he sounds awesome. <laughs> he doesn't need a bigger ego, but yeah. <laughs> now, do you share it with your brother because he's a fan of the genre or just because he's, you know, you guys are close and you have a relationship that, that like. Yeah, he, he's a fan of the genre. He's not a huge reader, but we are very close. We've always been. We're close-ish in age. Um, I actually married his best friend, so <laughs> we are very close. <laughs> I feel like there's a novel right there. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, just having a new baby and having a book out, how do you find, um, uh, have you found your footing yet? Um, how do you balance writing with family and everything else? Yeah, so I'm still figuring out being outnumbered with two kids now. I figured it out with one because my daughter, my oldest daughter, Lorelai, was born last January. So I was still like editing and drafting the seventh queen. So I figured out with her, okay, you know, beat back the exhaustion, sit down during nap times and just crank it out. Haven't quite figured out that balance yet now that there are two of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> theoretically i should be able to get their nap times to sync up someday somehow question mark i don't know benadryl yeah jen is always telling me benadryl for my kids <laughs> jen, <laughs> i don't have children so it's very easy like, for me. <laughs> oh, benadryl. you don't go to sleep benadryl, benadryl. <laughs> <laughs> jen. 
<laughs> Reasons awesome. why I'm not a mom. <laughs> well, and, and I have I have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 5-year-old, and none of them were good nappers. Like, none of them ever were. So the idea of them syncing up requires at least one of them to fall asleep. So you have one if your oldest, if she, she napped for you. Yeah. So thank her very much because not every child will do that. And hopefully little little brother or sister also follows suit. Oh God, I hope so. That would be terrible. <laughs> yeah, but you also, it sounds you all, you also have family support, which is just yeah. huge, not just right. for writers, but for new moms in general. And I'll just, she's not watching this, but I'm going to shout out my mother-in-law because the only way I was ever getting any writing done is she would watch my littlest guy for once a week for a little bit. And that's how my, my big novel, that's how that one got done was she'd watch him and I'd write for a little bit. And it wasn't until he started preschool that I actually had consistent chunks to do stuff. Cause I have these insomniac kids who just, they just don't stop. Yeah. I have a feeling my method is going to be the same as yours. My mom's been really good about being able to come down and of course, being retired and being in the middle of COVID kind of helps with that situation, but... <laughs> you don't got anywhere else to go. Right. <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to spend time with your grandkids? <laughs> Always use guilt. Always use guilt. Yes. <laughs> but mom, the, I'm so tired. I know. <laughs> it takes the whole village to raise a child and to write a book, so... Yeah, for sure. Just shout out sure. to your mom. Yeah, definitely. And my oldest has just started that, like, toddler phase. She had her first tantrum the other day after I wiped a booger off her face. So I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting in the next few years. Oh. <laughs> Did she just want to keep the booger? Did you like figure out her like? No, I don't even think she knew it was there. Just the indignity of me wiping her face. Apparently, <laughs> such a I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> I've read child rearing books that essentially say that children aren't like fully evolved humans. They're still in that kind of primitive primate stage and then they become cavemen. Like my five-year-old's just now kind of approaching homo sapien, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Years till her kids upright. (laughs) (laughs) But I, but I love that you're still able to write with that because a lot of people are just like, I know for me, I was so sleep deprived the first few years that I was, I had finished a novel before my first one was born or around then and did kind of the considering query. And that's one that I definitely have shelved and is like, goodbye, I don't ever need to see you again book. Yeah. But I know that the coherence of my thoughts just, it wasn't there. Like they say that the, the afterbirth isn't a placenta, it's your actual brain and it's just gone for a while. <laughs> everybody, everybody's different. I know some people who are like, I'm back to work two weeks later and just running all cylinders. That was not me. Yeah. I really haven't started back up since my second was born. Nadia. It's like, ah, I'll get there eventually. Just it wasn't even a month ago. You got time. The fact yeah. that you're having yes. a parent conversation right now. <laughs> I shower. There's no spit up on my face or anywhere else. So. We can only see you from here up. So <laughs> yeah, from here up, you look great. <laughs> I also really love being on these types of calls because it doesn't matter how messed up the back of my hair looks. Yeah, I got the front of my hair to look right. The <laughs> side sweep is always really good. It doesn't yeah. matter what's happening <laughs> in the back. And we were complimenting for the people who are listening on podcasts and can't see what we're doing. Greta has beautiful blonde hair that then goes into some curls that are like a light purple. They actually match Jen's background. I kind of want to swap oh, yeah, them. It <laughs> but it matches her shirt too. So she's coordinated like with this ombre down through the curls <laughs> and, and does not look like she had a baby less than a month ago. So yeah. 
<laughs> but Greta also outlines her books before <laughs> she writes them. So maybe she's maybe she's onto something. Maybe she's onto something. Wow. <laughs> we could write Greta, you should write a self-help book for like just like authors. Like these are all the things like look, I still have clean, pretty hair. I outline my books so I know what's gonna happen. Wow. And which is just amazing. Yes. Because <laughs> you're talking to three pantsers here. Yeah. Like I said, I would be a pantser. I just suck at it. So I well, I don't think I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everybody has different different versions of these different things as far as like, okay, you're a pantser, but I'm this kind of pantser. I'm I'm a plotter, but I'm this kind of a plotter. Because even even a pantser sometimes I know I was telling Jen I was I was writing down these sentence fragments because that's as close as I get to an outline because they're ideas that I don't want to lose, but I'm not there yet. So technically, is that an outline? It's not an outline. It's just I'm a pantser putting things on backwards and like pants are on my head or something. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Yeah, whatever works. Just get those words out. Get get right. the words out and and hope that when they're done, that you have something that you can kind of formulate back into a book, even if the first draft is not a book. Yeah. Yeah, and I think people also get weirded out when I say that I'm a plotter, thinking that I know how the book is going to be at draft one. I don't. I re-outline between each draft because no matter how exhaustively you outline, you still go off on tangents or discover something new about the book. And it's, I don't want to make it sound like homework because it's not. It's still that creative rush that you get from drafting a new novel. You just kind of have signposts to tell you when you're veering off track. Well, and I think you're also... I, I would just think it would help you also know, especially if your first, if your first attempt, your training wheels draft was so long yeah. that you can at least see kind of mileposts of going, okay, by this point, by this scene, I should be this far along. And if I'm at a hundred thousand words and I'm only this far into my outline, I'm probably doing something wrong yeah. and stop and revisit <laughs> and maybe do some yeah. of those scratch words or crutch chapters. Yeah. <laughs> go. This whole chapter. For sure. And, you know, sci-fi fantasy, we love describing scenery and people don't want to read 80 pages of scenery. It's, we don't, no one's Tolkien anymore. That's such a good takeaway because, so I, I beta a lot and there are a lot of people I read who still are writing like that because they, what they love is like that. And it's hard when there's kind of this dis disconnect between what we love and what we want to read and what other readers want to read. And you know what? If you self-publish, do whatever you want. And if you find that audience who wants to read 20 pages of description about a mountain, but you're going to have a hard time getting an agent to get through 20 pages if all they've asked for is 20 pages and all that first 20 pages is a mountain. Yeah. I don't even care if it's Mordor. No one wants to read it. I think that goes also back to make sure you're reading in your genre and reading current things that are being published. I, I, I love Tolkien, but I also love books that came out in the past five years, and I model my writing more off those more recent books, because that's what people want now. Sensibilities have changed, and that's just the way of the world. Let it go. Our, our attention spans are much shorter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just have to take a shot, because... Greta just said, let it go. And we were trying not to make any frozen references. Oh, no. And she just said, let it go. So I'm taking a shot right here because it wasn't me. The funny thing is, I, my family are all like big Star Trek fans. And I saw a meme of Anna and Elsa doing the, do you want to build a warp core? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yes, those are going to be my girls. <laughs> there, was, there was a meme. I'll have to send it to you. And 
unfortunately has profanity, but we said we can curse on this show, but it was like pop culture says women look like this. And then it says sci-fi says women look like this. And it's all these badass women like Starbuck and Buffy and yeah. you know, Captain Janeway. And I'm like, fuck Barbie. I'm getting my kid a ray gun. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <I'm getting old." laughs> I, mean, I was still mad at the, the friend who, when my, I think my daughter turned two and she gave her a set of Fisher Price princesses. And then it was like the door was open and everything's pink. And I'm like, ah, damn it. Because you yeah. can't close that. Then everything's princesses and they're running around and saying, let it go. And yeah, luckily everyone in my family knows not to get us dolls because they creep me out. They'll end up they you know, down, down <laughs> the street. <laughs> dolls are super creepy. Yeah. Especially porcelain dolls. The creepy porcelain dolls. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. When I was a little kid, I had like the little toy stethoscope. And I was too afraid to put the stethoscope up to my toys because I was afraid if they had a heartbeat, then what am I? Yeah, you would have to you would have to burn the house down. And as a child, you can't do that. It's it's burning houses down, and the next thing you know, she's sitting there and she's fire starter, and that's bad. Yeah. (laughs) When I was little, my parents got me a porcelain doll of a nun. What the? What is wrong with your parents? Scared the hell out of me. It was on my white bureau, like next to my jewelry box. I'd like wake up in the night and I'm like, she's freaking watching me. And this is why I write the prototype of Elf. Like they wanted to make sure you were behaving. Yeah, it was. It was basically Elf on the shelf, but like horrifying. I mean, I mean, Jen, we've we've had you write articles about you finding these horror novels when you were like eight and nine years old. But I see now this is the root of the problem. <laughs> it was that doll. Yes, that's yeah. right. And I've read all your work. Why isn't that nun doll in any of these books? I mean, I feel oh, like... just this- wait. I mean, that's the easiest thing that happens. Just put that nun in every single one of your books. Like, just like in the background. Like literally like the yeah. elf on the shelf. Just, yeah. <laughs> okay, an elf on the shelf is not welcome in my house either. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to say the nun doll does make, uh, there is a reference to her in my current work in progress. <laughs> okay, well, I'll be looking, we'll be looking for it now. So. Yeah, I know everybody, people are like, well, then we're not going to, I'm not going to read it. Yes, Elisa, Elisa yes. agrees. She says, Jen, that nun doll is why you write horror. That's right. <laughs> yes, that's what happened. All of the women in horror interviews I've done, I've never mentioned the nun doll. Now I should. Did you just not realize it until now? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like this is like therapy and I'm just like working through it. It's the exclusive. I feel very blessed with this information (laughs) in my interview. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I was I was gonna say we will never do elf on the shelf. And I don't know, you said you like Star Trek. I don't know how you feel about Star Wars, but we will approve of Lando on the Mando. My husband that he's a huge Star Wars fan, so we can do that. We like look around going, Where's my where's my little baby Yoda? <laughs> One of my kids probably took off it. It's not even mine. I mean I've I've got Boba Fett here. I'm at my husband's desk, so it's just random stuff around here. So, <laughs> so. Nice. that's Boba Fett, that's not Mando. But okay, so Greta, you are writing fantasy and continuing to write fantasy, and we're not doing cozy mysteries. But would you cross the line from fantasy into sci-fi? Because if you're doing Star Trek or Star Wars, yeah, I I don't actually know if I would. I'm so daunted by the thought of writing sci-fi. It's scary, isn't it? Yeah, I just feel like I <laughs> I like science, but I feel like I don't know enough, and it would show 
really badly. <laughs> like, I have no idea. <laughs> I know, I totally get that. Cause uh, so the other ladies know that the book that I have out on submission, I originally pitched it as like sci-fi fantasy because I joke it's fantasy wearing sci-fi clothes. Okay. But I'm like, it's more like how Dr. Who handles science, which yeah. is not science but at all. Maybe. But now it's being kind of looked at as literary sci-fi, which makes it sound like I know a lot more science than I do. <laughs> so it's it's all, but I completely understand you because I'm just waiting for the nerd guy from Simpsons, some Simpsons to be like an episode and then call out some of my science. Right. Which, <laughs> and in fantasy, I think you get a little bit more leeway so long as you're diegetically accurate within there. Yeah, as long as it has an internal logic that stays consistent, you can really get away with a lot. And it also kind of depends on the age group that you're writing for. You know, they, they typically the younger age group you're writing for, the more kind of hand wavy you can be with. You wave a wand and it happens because reasons. Yeah. You, know, you don't need to know where magic comes from. But usually when you're writing for adults or older teens, you kind of need to have um, an explanation for those types of things. But like I said, as long as you stay consistent, you can really kind of do what you want with fantasy. Yeah, I feel like that consistency is the big thing because people will buy anything so long as it's, it makes sense within your world and you don't give it up halfway through and go, Oh, just throw that rule out the window. It doesn't matter. Well, it's also the thing where your magic can't be too powerful because if it was, and you have a world with magic, then why are there problems to begin with? Right. So you oh, always exactly. have to make sure that you have a magic system that also has drawbacks and you know, you can't do everything because that's not interesting. No, it's it's not interesting. And then on top of that, you end up with either a, a hero that is so powerful. Okay, he solved all the problems. Now there's no conflict. There's no point in the story. Right. You know, you, you have to have something there for you to be able to even root for. Because also when you get a, a hero like that, then you almost run into the Mary Sue problem where it's like, oh, they're right. so perfect. They're dull. <laughs> I don't want to read that. They're so perfect. Their only character flaw is that they're clumsy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you don't even want. You don't even want. Or they have a dorky laugh. Right. I mean, they make oh, that makes them human. And what? What did you say, Jen? Oh, I said, oh, the dorky laugh. That's what makes them human. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I said give them a minor character flaw, like pyromania. Sleeping's <laughs> 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 on fire. <laughs> See, I'd, I'd like that. Yeah, that's my kind of character flaw. Like, well, I love this. We are sadly out of time. Greta, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely talking to you ladies. You'll thank have to come you. back when you're allowed to drink again. Oh, please have me back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you found another book, so it's it, September 2021? Uh, November. November, okay. November of this year, so stay tuned. That's incredible. Um, so everybody, Greta's website is scrolling underneath us. Um, or it, if you're just listening to this, just uh, put your eyes down and it would be in the show notes in the show description. So uh, check out her website. Check out her book, The Frozen Crown. I want to thank Roman Seraton, our video director. I want to thank Pam Stack, our executive producer. And thank everybody at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This has been a copywritten podcast by the global authors on their network. Stay tuned. Next week, we have Tim Meyer and Chad Lutz. <laughs>